Hey, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church, and I'm glad that you guys are, are here this weekend. We are in the third week of our series that we've called uh, Treasure Principle. The idea is that there's four keys to mastering uh, your money so that your money stops mastering you. Uh, you may remember if you were here in the, in the first week of this series uh, that we talked about the freedom that comes when you start being generous and giving with your finances. And this isn't necessarily a religious thing. This is just a people thing. I think that money is the number one thing uh, that causes us stress. It's the thing that keeps us awake at night. I know from statistics that it's the number one reason for divorce in our country. Money is a big deal to us, and we're not very good at it. Um, I read a stat a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's still true. Somebody could Google this for me. If you want, send it to me in email if you'd like. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's like the average American spends 104% of their income. You don't have to be a math, uh, a, a, a math genius to recognize uh, that that's, that's getting us into trouble. Am I, am I right? Like we are in crazy debt. And it's not just us individually, but like our country's in debt. Trillions and trillions. I mean, like it's the American way is to mismanage our money and spend the rest of our life like regretting that and carrying all of the pressure and anxiety that comes with it. And the problem is that our money begins driving the choices that we're making. And especially in the area of resources, we become self-centered because of fear because of the stress that comes with the way that we have been so poor at managing those resources. So if money is one of the things that gives you anxiety, keeps you awake at night, and is the source of conflict in your relationships, I think one of the things that you can do, and it is a biblical principle, but I don't think you have to be even be a Christian for this to work, is to start giving some of it away. So rather than your money always telling you what to do, telling you where to go, you make a conscious choice before you put money anywhere else towards any bill, make a conscious choice to start being generous with your money. Start being the kind of person that we all think and say that we already are. Most of us in here would probably classify ourselves or call ourselves generous people. I'm just not 100% convinced that our bank accounts would back that statement up. And the problem is that when we wait until after everybody else has gotten theirs, there's often, most of the time, that I, that's more than often, I guess, there's not enough left over to be generous. But when you first get that paycheck, you can be generous. You, you can. The second week we talked about the heart of giving, that you can actually manipulate your heart into becoming more or less passionate about things in your life. Like if you want to care more about cancer research, you can start giving more money to the Jimmy Fund. Start giving money to the Jimmy Fund and watch your heart is going to start becoming more passionate about, uh, about cancer research. Uh, I, I, I talked with you guys about, about how passionate I am about Priceline because of how much money I lost in 2001 when the bubble popped and I lost all of that. Like, I, you, you're probably completely neutral to, to Priceline and that's because your money wasn't connected to it. So not only does our money show where our heart is, our money also directs where our heart our, our heart goes, and 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 if it's and if it's okay, not like if it's not okay, I'm going to do anything different. Here goes, whether it's okay or not. Uh, I wanted to give you a, a side note uh, for for parents. Um, uh, I I. 
The older I get, the more thankful I, I become for the way my mom and dad raised me, particularly as it relates to financial management. Uh, as a child, my mom and dad taught me from when I was like really little um, to, to give the first 10% to God. That's what my mom and dad, they, they made me do this. And as a little kid, I didn't really know what I was going to do with the other 90% anyway. And truthfully, I thought God was getting shafted on the deal because he could have asked for a whole lot more than that, right? Uh, and I've talked to you guys about that before where my dad put out those 10, $1. He took my $10 I made from mowing and he put it into 10 ones. He said, how much of this belongs to God? And I was like, five. And he was like, no. And I'm like, six. And he's like, no. And I'm like, seven. Oh, crap, right? And he goes, no. And he just said one. And I was like, ha, 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 sucker, right? Like, God, he only wanted one. That was great. Well, I mean, as a kid, that was easy, right? As a kid, that was easy. And, and I'm not, I, I don't, so because the advantage is that my entire life when it comes to money, I have always lived on 90% of my income. Do you think that makes me a better or a worse personal financial manager? I have always lived on less than what I make. I always have. That as, as a grown adult has given me a strategic advantage that most of your parents did not give you. I have always lived on less than what I make, which is the reason why my wife and I have phenomenal credit. And, and it's, it has nothing to do... Listen, wealth doesn't have anything to do with how much money you have. It's how much margin you have with the money you do have. That's where wealth comes from. So for me, my mom and dad hooked me up. They put me on a path towards healthy personal finance when they taught me as a child that the first 10% always, always belongs to God. So every time I've ever gotten paid, what that forced me to do, even before I was grown up enough to understand the consequences of devoting the rest of my life to following after the ways of Jesus. When I would get my check at 16 years old from being the, the cashier guy at the Burger King, right? And it's like $84. And then I, the $8 or $10 is probably what I ended up doing. What that forced me to do as a kid who barely had a driver's license is every time I get my paycheck from Burger King, I had to think about God. So every single week, my entire life, every Friday, I think about God. 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 And not just about God, but God's priority in my life. God's priority in my life. God's priority in my life. My mom and dad are flipping Christian parent geniuses, or what they are. They put something in me as a child that would guarantee for the rest of my life on a weekly basis, I would stop and consider the priority that God was going to have in my life for that week. That's brilliant. Every single week. And I don't know any, that, and, and that's, that's, no, that's no awesomeness on my part. It was a habit that my mom and dad handed off to me because it was a habit that they have. And I'm telling you, as an adult, they hooked me up. Even when my heart was tempted to wander from God, my paycheck was a reminder of who I belong to. Every time my heart was in sin, I was skipping church my freshman year of college, acting like an idiot and playing the fool. But I'm still giving God an offering every single week. My mom and dad guaranteed 
that my kid, that's from their perspective, my kids will always remember they don't belong to themselves. They belong to God. And it, what it did was it kept my heart from wandering too far away. So as an adult, I have made sure that each one of my three children from the time they were really little, they get a $50 check on their birthday. How much of this belongs to God? $30? Nope. $40? Oh, crap. Nope. Only five, right? Like I taught my kids the exact same thing. And I'm telling you from experience to the glory of God, I've got a 24-year-old son who's married, who lives in Denver, who goes to Journey Point Church in Stapleton. And I ran into his pastor this past week. And he said, I love your son. I wish our whole church was filled with people just like him. And I said, Dad, I'm sorry. As a parent, don't you want to hear the same thing? Right? And I'm now, how does he know this? Because where your treasure goes, that's where your heart goes also. So my son gets paid on Friday and he's given to God through his local church on Sunday. And because his treasure is going after God, then guess where his spare time is going? After God. He's a volunteer student pastor at the church. I'm sorry. My daughter's 20, taught her the same thing. Her pastor sent me an email a month ago and said the same things. My kids have moved away. My youngest is still at home. He's still cooking in the oven. The timer hasn't gone off yet, so we'll see. Knock on wood and all that, right? Is knock on wood, is that blasphemous in the context of this? I have no idea. I'm not superstitious when it comes to this. I'm just saying that there are things that you can do to guarantee that your kids' hearts will always be pointed towards Jesus. But you can't teach what you don't know. And you can't pass on what you're not doing. And you can't give what you don't have. Are you with me? Some of you want badly for your kids to follow Jesus. You'll force them to go to school. You'll force them to go to practice for sports. You'll force them to get a job. But when it comes to the most important decision they will ever make in their entire life, and that is what to do with their soul, we all of a sudden become passive. And in doing so, we communicate to our kids what is most important. It's just not God. Parents, if you have small kids... You are at the prime spot in your life to birth in your children a constant built-in mechanism to always point their hearts back towards God. And if you no longer live with your parents or if you're a teenager and you're beyond that and your mom and dad aren't going to sit, you're, you're 17 years old, they're not going to sit down with your $175 check and do this for you because it's, they, they, for whatever reason, they, and you can't blame them, they can't teach you what they didn't know. And if their parents didn't do this for them, they didn't know to do this for you. But now you're responsible for what you know. And so now you, right now, while it's easy, need to start doing this. If you're a teenager... Right, If you're in college and you don't have crazy bills yet and you do get your paycheck, I'm telling you right now, set aside the first fruit, the first portion right now and demonstrate to God for the rest of your entire life the priority 
he has in your heart. I'm promising you as a 49-year-old man with a wife and three kids, two of them have already grown up and moved out on their own. I promise you, in the name of Jesus, you will never regret doing this. I promise you. Sorry. This is, this, is, this is tough stuff for a lot of us because our money and our management of our money is so unhealthy that we carry a little bit of shame and embarrassment when it comes to this. In the same way that maybe if you've gotten out of shape, you know that you need to start working out or um, eating right or if you don't like the job that you have, you know that you need to go back to school. Some of you guys have done that. You've gone on for your, your, your graduate work. There is a season of grinding that each of us are willing to go through because the benefit of the grind is worth it on the other side. Would you guys agree? How many of you guys like working out? Raise your hand. Let everybody else in the room, if you like working out. Okay, y'all are the, you guys are the, y'all are nuts. The rest of us who are normal. The rest of us who are normal, we don't, we don't, if, if you're an intelligent, rational, sane adult, you don't like working out because you know you're tearing your muscles down every time you lift up those weights, right? I go, why do I need to do that? I'm just saying, you, we know that we sometimes need to force ourselves to do things that are uncomfortable and difficult because we know that they are necessary for our personal health. Am I right? Yes or no? And in the same way, you getting on top of your finances is a stinking grind. But you're going to have to do this so that you can get healthy. If you need a cheat sheet for this, you can go to, I, I believe it's thatsgrace.org slash giving. Thatsgrace.org slash resources. It's one of those two. It'll be on our Facebook page this week. Uh, but if you, if you go there, you can download or just Google this. Just Google this. Google a budget, a quickie budget sheet is what you, you ought to Google. It's a, it's a one-page budget sheet. And that's the very first thing that every person in here needs to do, in my opinion, is to sit down with that one-page budget sheet and find out in, in the last two months' bank statement and just figure out where all of your money is actually going and get on, get on top of it. Um, um, and then, and then and, and, yeah, so that, you can, so that you can become healthy because I, I'm... I'm I, if you're a devoted follower of Jesus, then it's my assumption that you desperately care what God has to say about all things. And even this one, it's just this one, we have such bad habits and a pattern of dysfunction um, that it brings with us feelings that can make us want to ignore this so that the feelings go away. But what I'm telling you is you're perpetuating the brokenness that's going to leave you with the rest of your life being uh, decision-making, being, being, led, being led, led by fear. And what I love about this church family is that I, as the pastor of this church, can speak on this topic uh, from, from, a, a clean, from a clean place uh, with, with pure motives. So I, we're, not, we're, not, we're not raising money for anything. I mean, we're doing that hope project, but that's just for, there's no bills we're trying to cover. There's no, our church is not in, in debt. We're making all of our bills. We're not in financial trouble. In fact, every year we budget 90% of expenses of last year's income. So the income from 2019, 2020's budget is set at 90% 
of this year's income. And of that 90%, we're even giving an extra 10% away towards our mission projects. What that does is that guarantees that every single year we have a margin because someday we'd like for each location to own its own location. And we know that when for that, for that to happen, we've got to be good stewards of our resources. So Grace Church isn't in financial trouble. We're not in, we're not in need. We're not trying to ask. If nobody does anything extra with any of their money, it's not going to affect us at all. It, it doesn't. This really is about you getting on top of the thing that has caused you the most anxiety your entire adult life or will cause you the most anxiety as an adult if you're not yet an, an adult. Um, it, and, and truthfully, if you gave one extra mil- if you gave in the offering this weekend a million dollars, that doesn't change that doesn't change a personnel salary payroll at all. I don't get a raise for that. Like my, my salary is set by trustees who are members of our congregation. You guys are the ones that set the personnel budget. If you gave them, and by the way, that's already set for 2020. If you gave a million dollars, ain't nobody gonna be rolling around in no beamers. If you gave a million dollars, what that tangibly means is we will be able to fully fund, fully fund this, the new church plant in Uruguay. It means that we'd start more orphanages. We'd do a better job hooking Robert Connolly up in his church plant next year in Brockton and Lionel Flores and Lynn. That's what it means. We'd be able to fully fund the church plant in Charlestown. That's what it means. It means that we'd be able to build a new feeding center in Ulaanbaatar. No, sorry, sorry, he's in Katgal. In Katgal, Mongolia. That's what it means. If you gave $2.2 million, that's a real number, by the way, we'd be able to buy the location that the Bridgewater Church is meeting in and renting. If you gave $3.9 million, it just means that we might buy a certain piece of property that if you're in the Avon location, you may have driven by today. Right? And if you gave, what would that be? 6.1? Be able to buy both locations. I mean, I'm just saying, like, all this means is we get to go farther faster and helping more people find and follow Jesus. That's really, that's God's plan is to do that. <laughs> yeah, more people finding and following Jesus. And that is, that is the thing. That is the thing. And then the, the cool thing is that God's pleased to use us to be a part of that. God's pleased to use us to be a part of that, which is, which is fantastic. But the problem when it comes to money is that it's the number one competition for God's spot in our heart. It is. And that's the problem that the Christians in this room are trying to solve. If you're not a devoted follower of Jesus, Grace Church isn't asking anything from, from you at all. You get a ringside seat to a conversation about what we believe as followers of Jesus we are responsible to fix in our own hearts. In fact, I'd even say that if you showed up today in need, you came to the right church. We're happy to help you financially if you are in, in a bad spot. Heard about somebody else this past week who, who lost, lost a job, and they're part of our church family. So I was able to text that person and say, if you get jammed up, let us know we got your back. That's what church families do, right? So, like, we're, we're, here, we're here for each other. Um, uh, but Jesus talked about this, the, the, the competition that money represents in our heart for God's spot in our heart in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're at today. So if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. 
This is Jesus talking and he says, no one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one of them and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Well, what master are you talking about, Jesus? And he says, just in case you're not sure what I'm talking about as the number one competition for the role of master in your life, it's this. You cannot serve God and still be enslaved to what? Money. You cannot serve both God and money. You, you, can't, serve, you can't serve them both. You have to choose which one you are most devoted to. And the other will be in service to that one. There are those of us who honestly, money holds the number one spot. And the whole thing about our prayer life is, God, give me more of this. 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 And I don't know why in the world that we, why we would expect God to give us more of our idol. Maybe it's possible that God is allowing you to experience how that idol can't rescue you so that you will make it swap seats with the one who can. Have you thought of that? You can't, and there's, we, <laughs> you can't both be a Red Sox fan and a Yankees fan. <laughs> Am I right? Yes or no? You can't. It is impossible. It's like getting the same sides of the magnet to stick together. It won't do it. You can hold it there. You can hold it there, but it doesn't go there naturally. Like there's no, like I don't, I've never met somebody who is both a Yankees fan and, 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 and uh, a Red Sox, Red Sox fan. It's, it's impossible. You can't be a Dallas Cowboys fan and be an intelligent adult. <laughs> Just saying. You, they, can, they cannot go together. They don't. It's impossible. They just don't, they just don't mix. They just don't mix. Why can't, you, why can't we serve God? Why can't we chase God and, and chase money? I think that that's a rational question. Why can't we pursue them both? And the answer is because of the role they play and where you find security. That's why you can't. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 29, that is why I tell you not to worry. Listen, this is a struggle for us. And Jesus knew this was a struggle. It was a struggle then, it's a struggle now. That's why he gives a specific instruction on this. Each one of us, by the way, every time we look at Scripture, you have to decide, am I going to accept what God says for me or am I going to tell God no? That's the choice we make every weekend here at Grace Church. That is why I tell you, Jesus said, you can't serve God money. That's why I'm telling you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds, he says. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And I think this is what we wonder about from the perspective of God. Jesus then says, aren't you more valuable to them? And I think maybe that's where we struggle, is I don't know that God's paying attention. And I don't know what lie you've bought into that gets you to that place where you've stopped trusting God to look out for you. But what Jesus says is, if God will take care of stupid birds and flowers, how much more would he take care of you? Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as, as, as they are. 
And I'll tell you when this became real to me. This became real to me in the summer of 2005. I'm going to share a story I've never shared here at Grace before, which is surprising. I've only got five. Here's number six. Here's a new story. I was teaching at a very conservative Baptist college, and that's what moved my wife and I out here. And we started this church. It was a Bible study, and it kept growing. I went to my pastor, and my pastor said, you know, it sounds like this is a new church. This is really exciting. And, you know, they sponsored us so that we could become a legitimate church and all of that kind of stuff. It was really, really exciting. But God doesn't call us to make Baptists. God calls us to make disciples. And truthfully, this, the man-made labels, I don't, there's not going to be seating sections in heaven. You guys know that, right? You guys know that? There's not going to be like Assemblies of God and Catholic section and Baptist section. Although the charismatic section is going to be a lot more fun to hang out with than the Baptist section. Can I just put that out there? And the Catholic section is just going to be doing standing up, sit down the whole time, I think. The Baptists are just going to sit there the whole time. They don't stand up for nobody, no time, nothing. Right? They just say amen a lot is all they do. Right? But there's none of that. And God didn't call us to make Baptists. God called us to make disciples, to help people follow Jesus regardless of what denominational affiliation they come from. Am I right? So I said, when we're going to start the church, it's going to be Grace Church. So I don't know if you can teach here anymore. This is a Baptist college. So the trustees came into my office, and they told me I had 24 hours to reconsider. It's the scariest 24 hours of my life. Because, and, and it wasn't. I mean, it was the most jeopardizing, maybe, but then it kind of wasn't. So I was upset. I felt that that college had gotten their priorities way out of line, biblically. They were giving me an opportunity, though, to make this Grace Baptist Church. I put that on the signage and so I could keep my job. So when you got 30 people in a Bible study... And you're the only one who gives in the offering. <laughs> and you're about to lose your job. And you could lose your job tomorrow. And there's no other churches that are supporting Grace Church at all. It's, it's just, my wife and I are three kids and some of our neighbors. And not all of them are even followers of Jesus yet. That's where my faith got real for me. Are you going to do what God says, and risk 100% of your paycheck? Or do you play it smart and just change the name and not tell anybody what it was going to be or anything else so that you could provide for your family? You see what I'm saying? That's when it became real for me. The idea that I'm going to spend the rest of my life making safe decisions because it's financially prudent or I'm going to spend the rest of my life leveraging 100% of it in passionate pursuit of Jesus. But dang it, there's no coming back either way. If I go down this path of compromise, I know for a fact that I'll continue making decisions based on money for the rest of my life. Or I can break free from those handcuffs and choose to follow God and risk my wife and kids. What, starving to death? I knew that wasn't going to happen. You know why? Because my dad taught me to trust God from when I was mowing grass. And I told Billy Jean that night, I said, what do you think? She says, I'm with you. Oh my word. First of all, 
To have a wife who's more godly than you is an awesome hookup. Can I just put that out there? Because I was afraid. That chick was confident. She's like, I just want to do whatever God, like, I'm, I'm with you. What, are you. what are you thinking? And I said this. If we start making decisions based on money, it'll never stop. And we'll start making decisions based on money for the rest of our life. Or we just do what God tells us to do. And he provides. Which he did. And you're here because God keeps his word. God, God won't let you down. I 100% promise you that if you put God first, how much more will he take care of you than the stupid birds and lilies in a field? You are more valuable to him than flipping flowers. Trust him. Trust him. You are trusting God or you're trusting something else. David said in Psalm chapter 35, verse 25, he said, once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. My dad has this memorized. I can remember him saying it to me. I once was, once was young and now I'm, an old, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread is the way the King James says it. Because that's how I have it memorized. Because my dad had me memorize that as a kid. So I would remember that from the time I'm young to the time that I'm old, I will never see somebody who's passionately in pursuit of God who is destitute and their children will never be begging for bread. That... That's security. See, you can chase money and you may or may not have enough. And you can, or you can chase God and you'll always have enough of him. Right? You can chase money and you, you may or may not get into trouble. And if you get into trouble, I would say that there's a very real possibility, and this is true for me, that any time I get into a financial jam, my first question is, is this God trying to get my attention? Am I right now being spiritually disciplined by God? There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 12 which says this, verse 5 through 8. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children when he said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? So if God does not discipline you, if you are right now in disobedience in any area of your life, and you are right now not being disciplined as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and you are not his child at all. If you can sin in any area of your life, if you can disobey God and not be disciplined by God, that's proof you're not his kid. It's not proof that he doesn't love you. It's proof that you're not his yet. So if right now you're struggling in this area, I think, and I'm giving you counsel like I would give my own kids, 
You need to ask yourself if it is in this area that you are being disobedient and God's disciplining you. I don't know. I'm not saying that's why we have financial. Sometimes we just get in financial trouble because we make horrible decisions. Other times things happen to us that are completely outside of our control. And it has nothing to do with punishment or discipline or, or anything like that at all. It's just a downturn in the market or the boss that we work for closed the, that they sold it. And then they, then they you know, the, comp, the board sold to another board and they were taken over and then they cleaned out. Like sometimes it has nothing to do with anything else. I'm just saying that for me as a devoted follower of Jesus, when I feel pressure in any area of my life, my first thought is... Is God trying to get my attention to get me to self-correct? Because if he is, I don't want him to keep going. Listen, as, as a kid who had a really good dad, there was discipline where my dad would just go like this. He'd raise that eyebrow and he'd make the other one kind of mean looking. Right? He'd do that. My dad was a preacher, so I'd be talking in church. And my dad would be, and all my dad would just, while he was preaching, he'd go like that. And I'd I get super holy right there, right? <laughs> then there's other times when my dad would, he'd have to snap. The other times my dad would walk up to me in front of other people and he'd put his hand on my shoulder like he's a perfect little father. But he'd be squeezing that like neck joint right there. And I'd be, ha, ha, yes, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. The amount of discipline matches my resistance to yield to authority. Right? Because he's a good father. And if my dad knows this, how much more does our father know this? The question, though, isn't whether or not God will take care of me, but whether or not I am what David called the godly who will never be abandoned. Does God have, every, have priority in every area of my life? Back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus keeps going and he says this. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Then he says this. Why do you have so little faith? And that's honestly the question, isn't it? That's it. Trust. That's, that's all this is about for us. I don't think anybody in here, if you're a follower of Jesus and the area of your finances are not submitted to the will of God, I don't think you're intentionally being like a, we're not, we're not malicious. Like most of us, I mean, maybe somebody, I doubt it. You probably wouldn't be here if you were malicious or like vehemently anti, you know, spiritual growth or God, like, so that's not the deal. It, it's, it's honestly about trust. We find more security in our reservoir of cash than we do in obedience to God with every area of our life. That's, that's really all this comes down to. And because this is a matter of trust, it's a matter of faith. And that's the reason why Jesus takes the time in the most famous sermon of all and gives the most verses of the entire sermon to the number one competition for God's place in our heart. Do you trust God more than you trust money or do you trust money more than God? Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, still the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is still talking about the number one thing that's in competition with God's spot in our heart. Verse 31, so don't worry about all these things saying, well, what will I eat if I do this? Or what will we drink or what will we wear? 
These things dominate the thoughts of who? Those are the driving motivators for those who are not God's kids. The motivators for those who are God's kids are completely different. Their question is, what does God want me to do now? That's their number one question. Is that yours? You see what I'm saying? You see, our thoughts are dominated by things that should not be dominating us. It has mastered you long enough. Either your primal urges, your fear, your craving for society and, excuse me, for security and your control over that is going to master you or you're going to allow your creator to be the one who provides those things for you. There is a way to think that is godly and there is a way to think that is godless. And it has everything to do with where you find your security. Which is why Jesus says, and this might be one of the most famous verses, statements in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 33, where he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and God will give you everything that you need. That's a promise. If you seek first God, his righteousness, his kingdom purposes, Jesus said, Everything else you need will be my responsibility. I've never seen the godly abandoned or their kids begging. You seek first my kingdom. You obey me first and I will take it on me to provide everything else you need. You seek God and God will provide what you need or you focus on taking care of yourself and God is excluded from your life. That's a choice that only you can make for yourself. I can't do that for you. But the area of security, the security that's found in giving, giving puts myself in a position where God now volunteers to take responsibility for me and my kids or I push him out and God stays out and now we'll see how it goes. You get to choose where you go from here. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you are a better bet than the stock market. I'm thankful that you are a better bet than real estate. You have a 100% track record of keeping your promises. 100% track record. And God, you're not going to jeopardize your track record just to mess me up. You said that if I bring every area of my life into submission unto your will, if I seek first your kingdom, if I seek first righteousness, if I seek first obedience, then you take on yourself to make sure I have everything else I need. And God, I've seen you do it. I'm thankful for a good dad who taught me not to be controlled by money from the time I was a kid. And I'm thankful for the freedom that that brought me and for the courage that my dad built in me so that in 2005, when I finally had to put you to the test, I wouldn't be afraid of you. In God, to the glory of Jesus, I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit in my heart who gave me the courage 
to do what you want. God, I don't ever want that to go away. God, the older I get, the more I start thinking about safety in my older years and all that kind of stuff. And I can feel fear creeping back in again. But God, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to help me to keep that out. I am 100% every area of my life available to you, and I am at your disposal. Leverage my life in any way you see fit. Dear God, don't let me miss any awesome thing you have planned for me. Definitely, God, don't let me miss it over stupid money. Help me to be willing to trade paper for people every single week that I live for the rest of my life. Dear God, let your will be done in me so that your will can be done through me. This should be all of our prayer that we make in the name of Jesus and we all say together, amen. amen. If you guys would, please stand with me. We're going to be dismissed with a song.